Hello, hello, listeners to the Third Way Podcast. I've never served in the military, my, but I have lots of family members that did, and I have a deep respect for the military. I don't, you know, I think there's a lot of people that have this sort of um, over-veneration um, that's inconsistent with a lot of their actual behavior towards veterans. Um, and uh, so I'm, and I'm, I'm, you know, people that are veterans, especially combat veterans or first responders have, they have, they have, they have had, they've been through some real shit. And there's something fascinating about this real shit that they've been through, that it's become a breakthrough field of research for other trauma survivors, other people that have experienced trauma. And it's an interesting thing where the, the military, the U.S. military in particular, has long been a kind of a at the forefront of technology development. And now it's at the forefront of, you know, healing and integrating and dealing with severe trauma. So in that spirit, I'm excited to introduce my guest today, Dr. Kate Pate. Um, she is a military medical researcher and a coach for military members and first responders. Uh, Dr. Pate um, and I met through a, a dear friend of mine and a, other former guest on this uh, podcast, Mike Green, um, where uh, Kate did one of his uh, wilderness leadership adventures. And so in that conversation, they were like, we should talk. And we have. And so welcome. Thank you. G glad to be here. So talk a little bit about for context for our audience before we get into the questions on this idea of healing our heroes is the topic or the title of the episode. Uh, talk a little bit about your background. How did you get to this place of being the medical, a military medical researcher and coach for military and first responders? It, it's actually, um, I kind of came into this field sort of on accident. It certainly was not by design or on purpose. Um, I, I had been a lifelong learner, always loved school, um, went straight from undergrad into a PhD in neurophysiology and just Really, it was kind of a combination of not really knowing what I wanted to do with my life completely and also just loving school. So it was sort of like, why not keep going? <laughs> so uh, so I did and um, wasn't really sure what I wanted to do with it other than I loved teaching and I loved learning and, and research was part of that as well. Um, I, I ended up having an opportunity about four years into four, I guess maybe five years into my postgraduate degree uh, career where I was able to pivot a bit and apply what I was doing in my career to military medicine. And I mm. had a brother who was an active duty um, special operations medic at the time. Mm. And it seemed like a really cool way to apply my background into something meaningful and um, really relevant to myself, my family, our, our family culture, and the um, service members that I was really passionate about helping. So I, I pivoted a bit from academia and research and went specifically into this military medical research arena. And we were basically trying to create better products for um, the battlefield for addressing mm -hmm. um, trauma in austere mm -hmm. environments. That then led to me uh, really becoming close with many people in the military and especially in the military medical um, arena, which also bled over into civilian EMS and the fire service, first responders, mm -hmm. law enforcement, because there's a lot of overlap, especially in the medical field. Um, what trickles down from the military often is, you know, and in, gets into and integrated into the civilian side of, of medicine. Right. So um, all of a sudden I wake up one day and 99% of my friends are either active or former right. military service members or first responders. And I started to see among 
my friends that people were not okay. Yes. They were dealing with so many things. It wasn't just trauma. I mean, trauma is certainly something that you encounter when you're um, you know, in the military or as a first responder facing uh, traumatic injuries and horrific deaths and um, just so many different things that you couldn't imagine on a daily basis. So there's that aspect for both types of communities, but it was also this chronic stress and the pace and the, the, the things that they were asking of their physical bodies, of their spiritual bodies, of their mm-hmm. mental, emotional bodies. I mean, there's just so much for so long and there was never really a break or any kind of um, structure in place for anyone to um, heal, but even just kind of recover from what they had just been through. And it's not to say that they needed to you know, process traumas immediately, but just to, to relax, to allow their nervous systems to kind of unwind. And as you could imagine over time, we all, we all have a breaking point. I mean, we're physiological beings and at some point our physiology can be overwhelmed. Right. And that's what I was seeing a lot of in my friends. And, um, you know, people were coming to me for help because they knew that I had studied traumatic brain injury as part of my um, research. And a lot of people had experienced traumatic brain injury as well Mm -hmm. as all these other things. And so I started trying to just decipher what I could from the literature, from research in ways that were meaningful for my friends to be able to use to cause positive change in their own lives. So I became kind of a translator, (laughs) research Mm -hmm. translator for people. And um, eventually over the years, I decided to turn that into a formal coaching practice because I had spent so much time with people from these communities that I started to see some patterns that were very clear. And I started to see things that Uh, I understood to be useful and valuable as tools and things that were actually harmful. And so I wanted to share that knowledge to try to give people a little bit of a, um, I guess, a leg up on their healing process when so many people felt sort of at a loss of even where to begin. And that's really been a main focus of of my work these days. Well, wow. Because there's so much there to unpack um, (laughs) that it sets up the questions that we're going to answer um, quite well. Um, so let's just go ahead and get into it because I think everything I want to ask you is already in one of the questions. So <laughs> let's start with this. And I often do this with the, with when I'm talking to an expert is, is I, there's so much misinformation and miscon- misconceptions about things in general in the world. So what are some common misconceptions about PTSD or other trauma related issues? Some, some stuff that, needs to be debunked or, 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 uh, you know, is out there in the conversation that's inaccurate or, and especially if it's harmful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's an excellent question. Um, I think some of the things that come to mind immediately, uh, are, is one, one in particular is this notion that any veteran that served, uh, must have PTSD Right, and it's, they're sort of synonymous and that's not true. Although, rates within the military service are certainly higher than that in the civilian population. It's not like it's uh, to a degree that is um, surprising given that, you know, given what they've experienced, Mm -hmm. but within the general population, I mean, it's eight to 10% of the normal population Mm -hmm. already is, is, um, you know, typically experiencing some, some form of PTSD over their lifetime. So that's a lot of, that's a lot of people, you know, trauma is pervasive in the human experience. Yeah. Um, the other, the other sort of 
part to that is that if you experience trauma, you must go on to develop PTSD. Right. And so a lot of people who have experienced really traumatic things are left thinking, well, I probably have PTSD or I must, or it's going to happen at some point. Right. And that's not always true either. Right. Um, and I'll, you know, I can jump into a little bit of explanation on these, but um, the other component of this as well is um, that it, it's a, a life sentence. So if you have PTSD, that's mm -hmm. it. It's a diagnosis, just like diabetes and you're stuck with it forever. Um, right. That is not true. It can be healed. You can move through it and heal those wounds. Um, and yeah, I think, the, I think those are the main ones. There are some others that were popping around in my head, but now I've kind of lost the thread of them. So they come back up. Yeah. 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 We can yeah, pick them back up. Free flowing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, you know, obviously you know way, way more about this than me. And so I'm, I'm kind of one of these like, you know, armchair, uh, you know, I like to read about this because, um, this is a, a, you know, a topic that I think is essential, the way we treat our veterans, especially combat veterans. So I've been um, very like, in, in, like influenced by Sebastian Junger's work um, and his book Tribe. And he points out in there that research shows that like special ops people have lower PTSD rates than traditional, you know, grunts, Yeah, you know, and it's interesting because that, you know, I have dealt with my whole life complex PTSD, which is this, you know, it's just for the audience, complex PTSD, and correct me if I'm wrong here, doc, <laughs> is uh, complex PTSD is the, is the impact on your nervous system from chronic, uh, a chron a chronic low grade stress or trauma. So, um, and so you think about being um, someone that goes out on patrol. So it's not a specific mission like a, like a Navy SEAL, it's a, you're going to go out on patrol in Iraq in, in Iraq or Afghanistan or Vietnam or whatever war. And you go out every single day and you may not see anything traumatic for days on end, but your brain doesn't know that. And that starts to create something. I think the other mythology too, is that there's still, this is still pervasive in the sort of the fuck your fears crowd, which are the most fragile people I've ever met. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, is that you, you know, that, that you just rub some dirt on it, you know, man up, sack mm -hmm. up, you know, mm -hmm. this sort of like, um, like stuff you would never say to somebody that has like a broken leg or a head wound or something like that. You right. know, this idea that it's all in your head. Mm -hmm. And I think that's such bullshit. I think it's super harmful. It is. Um, and then the other one too, is I don't know. I think one of the, one of the things is that addiction uh, and PTSD are, are are basically interchangeable. Mm. Um, and I don't know if that's actually true from a research standpoint that no, it's not. PTSD, exactly. Yeah. That's what I thought. I mean, based off of what I read, I'm like, no, they're, they're two separate issues and they're, they come from two different kinds of conditionings, but PTSD doesn't mean you're going to get into, you know, heavy drugs or, or no. heavy drugs doesn't mean that you are going to have PTSD. So, right. And, and a lot of times when people do have any kind of addictive behavior comorbid with PTSD, it's often in an attempt to cope with the symptoms of PTSD. Yes, I mean, exactly. you're living in a, a person. So for those who don't under, understand maybe what it's like it for a person living with post-traumatic stress, it's something that it's like you, your body you're, is no longer 
yours and it's an unpredictable environment. And of course we have to inhabit our own bodies, right? That's, that's the only Mm -hmm. way we can be here on this planet. So if you have a body and a nervous system that is uh, outside of your control and unpredictable in when it's going to react or respond, and you might instantly be transported back to feeling like you're in a place of you know, a threat to your life, severe traumas. If it's a focal trauma, you might be transported back to that exact event outside of your control where you're having to essentially relive what it feels like physiologically to be in that place. That's terrifying. And it's scary because you don't know when it's going to happen. And um, it can happen during sleep as nightmares. It can happen during the daytime as flashbacks and it's terrifying. So for people who are in that place and they don't know what to do, of course, you're going to try to find some way to and be okay. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think also that there's a, I'm really curious about what you think about this, is that um, in order for it to be considered trauma, it has to have a impact on your nervous system, like a chronic you know, nervous system condition. And a lot of people, especially in the United States, they confuse trauma and drama mm. so that it's a dramatic event. So, you know, somebody right. like, you know, my son didn't make the soccer team. It was so devastating. No, it wasn't devastating. Devastating would be having your buddies killed by an IED. Mm -hmm. You know, that's Mm -hmm. devastating. He was disappointed and disappointment is good because it teaches you things. And, and so I think that, that, that nuance, and I think there's also, and I just, I think I want to reiterate something you said, because I think it's very important for people to realize that having a traumatic experience, whether it's a single traumatic experience, like, like a, a, an incident, like a, like a, um, an accident or a witnessing some sort of carnage, it doesn't necessarily mean PTSD. And we look at study indigenous people um, that in the United States, indigenous people had no known record of suicide until contact with Europeans. And there's something in this that trauma, PTSD requires context, it requires comparison. And trauma, trauma is, and you tell me again if I'm wrong here, but trauma essentially is unreleased energy, unintegrated energy in the body. And so you look at indigenous people and 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 the rituals, the drumming and the dancing and the you know, the various rituals. And so it th- this idea that you have PTSD and you have it forever or that the, that PTSD is um, a, the part of all human experience. Trauma is, but PTSD mm-hmm. is not. PTSD right. is, is when trauma isn't dealt with, you get PTSD. Yeah. I guess another way to think about it is, um, you know, so, so for something to qualify as a trauma, right. it needs to be something where you're afraid for your life, like your life is in danger right. or somebody uh, else's life is in danger that you're witnessing. Right. So it's, there's a clear, a clear and present danger that um, is happening and your nervous system responds accordingly as all of ours is wired to do. That's normal. Right. And following trauma, post-traumatic stress is actually a normal reaction for all of us, whether or not it goes on to become a disorder, which is a disorder, not of the person, but of the nervous system, that is a whole other issue. And so a lot of times, you know, people think like, oh, if only I had trained more or been prepared, if only I had done this or that. And they, they take it personally, like it was a failure on their part that they developed PTSD. Yeah. And that's, that's not the case. I mean, s- sure. Certainly some types of stress inoculation 
is helpful and beneficial for a person, but Mm -hmm. we really don't know why some people develop it and why some people don't following trauma. And that's still an ongoing area of research. So for some folks, you know, there's correlations. We see if people have childhood traumas, for example, they, they can be predisposed to it. If they have a history of traumatic brain injury, you can be predisposed to it. Um, chronic stress can predispose. There's so many different things that are outside of your control that, um, play into that, but there's this other, um, component that is a very much body centric, um, perspective on trauma, which is, Mm -hmm. um, Peter Levine and Bessel van der, Bessel van der Kolk, uh, their work and Mm -hmm. the, which from that developed this idea of somatic experiencing therapy, You work with undealt with and stored trauma that was not allowed to to run its course. And the idea, like you said, is to release that energy and liberate that person Mm -hmm. from that, that cage, the stuckness, I guess. And there's a lot of research around this. There's a lot of anecdotal evidence as well. I've known people to go through these programs who with great success, and there is something about that. And it makes sense when you think about trauma happening to the body in the body And it's only Mm -hmm. through the body that it can be healed and released. And so this idea of talk therapy is not going to work. You know, these, it doesn't work. Right. You can't can't think yourself out of this stuff. Yes. Right. Or, or CBT, like the cognitive behavior therapy doesn't, I mean, that's, it's got its use. It's like an entry point, but Mm -hmm. I think it's also interesting. The the correlation here too is, and as I say, this as a, a white American male, what I call a wham is, you know, in order for us to experience trauma, it comes in my case, it came from my childhood, or, you know, you do it, you have, you're a first responder, you're in the military, you know, a lot of whams don't experience, they experience maybe some trauma, but everybody, I, every woman I know, every person of color, I know every LGBTQT person I know has at some point been afraid for their life. And so this is a systemic issue too. It's not just intrinsic with the nervous system or extrinsic with like social conditions it's Mm -hmm. systemic so i'm curious is the the, and this kind of leads into my next question which is what are some systemic changes or policy changes you would want to make that would be beneficial to the mental health of our our veterans and our first responders like systemic changes yeah I, i think the biggest thing that we have to start changing um Sorry, my dog is snorting in the background. (laughs) Um, I think the biggest thing that we have to uh, start changing is the conversation that we're having around all of this. I think we need to really speak about these things um, in real terms and and destigmatize and stop hiding or speaking about them in the incorrect manner. We need to have open conversations, shed the light into all the little corners and recesses of this issue, which is a very human issue. And if we can start talking about it more openly, we can start talking about the tools that are available to individuals for healing, because as long as there will be humans on this planet, there will be trauma and it's just part of our experience. And (laughs) (laughs) he's joining in. That's all right. That's why we don't edit. That's part of the fun. (laughs) He has a very soulful howl. Yeah. Um, I think if we can support one another and recognize the, what's going on for the, the others, as well as ourselves, um, that we can actually start having productive conversations and providing better tools. So we know some tools that are effective, but for each individual, it's kind of a choose your own adventure, 
uh, sort of approach. We don't know for you, the individual, what will work best until you try it. And so what are the other tools? There's going to be constantly new and emerging tools out there as well. So if we could have a, a broader conversation and shift policy around this in a way where, um, you know, a lot of these alternative therapies are covered for individuals that, you know, you don't have to pay out of pocket for every little thing that you try. Um, I think that that would be a huge benefit to all human beings and all mankind. And right. um, the the conversation is the initial step. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, a couple of things come to mind for me thinking about this is, um, and you mentioned alternative treatments, is um, certainly that the muscle, uh, the musk, you know, the resources, especially of the of the federal government, are much should be, in my opinion, be much more directed to somatic based therapy, um, as opposed to you go talk to a psychologist about what you experienced and you do that. It doesn't, the efficacy rate of it is, is piss poor. It wouldn't even hold up in a research project, actually, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and then certainly the endorsement of research, you know, real research into psychotropics or, um, you know, things like ketamine or, 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 or whatever. And then I think also a, um, a side symptom, I don't know if this is true for first responders, but for combat vets in particular, um, and I and I discern combat vets from, you know, veterans in general because they have a di- different experience than you know, serving on a ship and never seeing you know it was like having a job. It wasn't traumatic most of the time. Most military experiences are not traumatic, um, and so, um, but combat is. And so we don't we we do a shitty job. It seems to me to transition people. Uh, veterans that into civilian life. So, um, you know, we, we have the GI bill, but I think there needs to be, you know, the shift of identity. I mean, one of the things that PTSD does trauma does this, but PTSD in this, in the sense is it, it robs you of your identity. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, I think there's some correlation to that. And so I know a friend of mine um, was a, a Marine recon sniper. And he um, got out and he went to Columbia University and now he's doing the research. And I, I think on uh, on uh, PTSD research, you know, he's a, he's a researcher now. And that's how he redirected it. But I have, I have another friend, also Marine Corps, a Marine recon sniper, who's deeply troubled, deeply, you know, he's, he's, he's probably an alcoholic. He's, um, he's struggles with life. And, and I think that, back to what you said about changing the conversation, we have to acknowledge, and this is a common problem in our country, is that we can't, we, we, you can't agree on, you can have differences on the solution, but you have to be able to agree on the problem. And we sit down and we look at like the percentage of homeless people that are veterans or combat veterans. We look at the suicide rates of combat veterans and first responders. Those people that are doing that, they're doing that in a, in an environment where they don't feel actually supported mm-hmm. and imagine how like fucking discouraging that would be. Yeah. So changing that conversation is like, we need to take care of these people, not with billboards and fucking stickers, but actual policy changes so that they do get this sense of that. They are appreciated for the work that they do and they appreciate for the role that they have, because I it's, it's, I don't think it's the job per se, it's the dis- lack of respect and the despair that comes from not being, a, you know, not being seen 
Mm -hmm. Just like any other group of people that don't feel seen, it leads to, you know, destructive behavior. Absolutely. Well, and it is a difficult thing to reintegrate into civilian life, um, you know, especially within the special operations community, because that's also a really, you know, it's a very tight knit community and they're right. very close with their teammates and their the pace and the mission set and the, the problem set that they're addressing is very different. And it creates much more yeah. of a identity and cohesiveness often within those groups that when the transition right. out occurs, people do feel completely alone. And I have friends from the civilian world who know what I do. And they're like, Kate, you know, I really want to help, but I don't even know how to have a conversation with a veteran. And I'm like, this is exactly the problem. It's a human fucking being, you know, it's not an alien. They had a different job than you had. You don't go up to a plumber and say, Hey, I don't know how to talk to you because you're a plumber (laughs) and I know nothing about plumbing. It's like so many other things you could talk about that have nothing to do with your job. Right. And that's how, I mean, that's, that's part of the issue. There's a, a civilian perspective that is unhelpful that we have to start changing. Yes. Um, and on the, the part of the veteran, it's, you know, it's recognizing that what you had in your time and service cannot be created outside of that. And there, there should be a right. gratitude that you got to experience that because it is unique and a one of a kind thing, right. but that doesn't mean you can't try to form something meaningful outside of that too. You still need a tribe. You still need a purpose. You still need a job and to, to have meaning in your life. And if it's not there, which it likely isn't, and it won't be handed to you, you're going to have to create it. And that's on you. And it's both of those things. Um, And unfortunately the military is not going to do that. The VA is, is, was set up to help, but isn't uh, maybe you know, it's just gotten so big and bureaucratic that it's really more mm-hmm. of a hindrance to care for some people than, than um, what it was designed to be. And so that's why you see a lot of these veteran focused nonprofits popping up because they're like, well, no, you know, the, the powers that be are supposed to be doing this and they're not. So we're going to take it into our own hands and try right. to do it ourselves. Yes. And um, yeah, that's yeah. the reason that they're all there. Yeah. Right. And we have, this is a long-term a problem in American culture is the unwillingness to talk about traumatic events, like Mm -hmm. to even express it. And, and there's this sense of, again, you go back to indigenous people and other cultures where storytelling was one of the, what we would call like a, a, a treatment almost to tell stories. And, and, you know, the, the, that if you if you talk to a combat vet in particular and you say tell me some stories about you that that's similar to if you talk to someone that's just a disturbed um experienced a horrible loss they lost a family member in an accident or a disease or something and you know they want to talk about it they do want to talk about it because it's healing to talk about it and to be seen that's all people want is to be seen that i'm grieving or i'm suffering and yet we have this deep still, you know, kind of related Protestant work ethic where you just rub some dirt on it and you mm-hmm. get back out on the plow. Mm-hmm. And it's so damaging to do that. I think yes. there's also this crisis too, that I see this more and more though, with men, uh, uh, in, especially that are combat vets of expressing themselves. And I've noticed that, um, you, especially your special ops guys, they will tell each other, I love you like effortlessly. I've noticed that in being around several of them, as opposed to the, the regular sort of Gen X or boomer man 
you know, that won't ever tell anybody he loves, you know, that mm-hmm. he loves them. Mm-hmm. And that willingness to express and the, and the storytelling, which is part of the tribe that everybody needs. And so that's kind of what I want to end with, Doc, is um, the this idea of the therapeutic effect of storytelling and then what we can do. I mean, as you said, what, like, what is what is the thing that we can contribute to the conversation if we've never had that experience around this concept of storytelling? Yeah. Uh, storytelling is one of my favorite tools for healing, uh, healing from trauma in particular, because it's a transformative tool that allows us to be able to write, write our, our triumph, you know, write our, our hero's journey and, and the triumph that comes with that. And that's something that we can all, we all have the power to do that. And, um, and I think it also allows for connection. So when you're telling your story, you get to write it and narrate it in the way that is um, the best for you. And also it allows other people, like you said before, to see you and to know yeah. you and that forms connection and that, that allows other people and gives them permission to do the same. And that is so powerful. And that's what we all need. And yeah. I, I would say that, um, you know, for people who want to help, what I've observed is, you know, you you don't have to know what it's like to walk a mile in that person's shoes. You don't have to know what it's like to be a veteran or to have been in combat or to be a first responder, but you do have to understand what it is to be human and to be in touch with your own humanity and your own pain and your own suffering and your own traumas, because that is the thread that unites all of us as horrible as it is. It's also the most beautiful gift that we have because we can then relate to other people. And the right. reason, I mean, I, I work in this community and I've, and I've been adopted into this community, not because I'm a dude or because I'm a veteran or have been in combat or any of those things. I mean, I'm a woman and I've never served. And yet right. it's because I am intimately familiar with my own pain and my own darkness. Right. And it's something that I can, I can connect with other people on in a loving and compassionate way where there's there's no expectation. There's no, um, there's nothing other than being a, a human friend and a, in a, you know, the soul connection too, right. um, to this, this person across from me. And that's all people want. Sometimes it's just a person who understands without, right. you know, judgment or at a superficial level, just from reading in books, yeah. it's like, you get right. it as a human being. So what I would say to people who are like, Hey, I want to do something to help. I want to be a better person to these communities the, the best thing you could do is to work on yourself and to, right. to deepen that understanding and knowing of your own life path and your own traumas, because that becomes palpable when you connect with people, they can feel that in you and they can see that in you and it gives them permission right. to open up. And right. you, you essentially create that opportunity for them to heal by, right. by doing that yourself. Right. I love that. Thank you for saying that. I think that's, that's huge and, and spot on. And even the 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 telling your own story i think um uh, 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 there's you know this concept i think jordan peterson talks about self-authoring um and it's writing your own story um and what it does is that it allows you it removes you from assigned labels like mm-hmm. victim as an example mm-hmm. um you could say i'm a survivor of traumatic event but i'm not a victim and victim mindset is its own kind of hell Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, creates, you know, codependency or chemical dependency or, or whatever. Um, and so I think that's a, that's a big one. I think another one related to even like storytelling is, 
is, um, you know, if you have done your own inner work and you're, you know, in my case, not a con, never served in the military, but, you know, definitely dealt with complex PTSD, that makes you relatable. And I know you said this, but just reiterating that makes you relatable. So just because you, you know, weren't, you know, uh, getting dropped into, you know, out of a Black Hawk onto a combat zone, it doesn't mean that if you are not, uh, if, you, if you're a survivor of abuse, for example, that you have far more in common. You could be this, you could be a, 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 a person that doesn't, would never seem to be able to be in combat, you know, for whatever reason, um, and have more, you would relate more to a combat vet than, you know, somebody that deals with, you know, suburban drama, um, you know, and I, I think that I, I, my whole thing is we need to elevate the entire conversation about trauma the entire conversation, all of it. And if you trace back opioid addiction and suicide rates and just overall mental health issues and the chronic mental health issues, especially with men, it's related to unintegrated trauma. So if we can't have a national conversation about trauma, we can't then turn and go, okay, well, we're going to take care of our veterans with this. This is a collective thing. They just experienced it differently than other trauma survivors different conditions externally, same conditions internally. Mm -hmm. And just being honest about it. Like, can we not have an honest conversation about the effect of trauma? And not everything has to be, and I've talked about this book a lot, The Presence Process by Michael Brown. But he points out that anything, if you're not present, then it's pretense. Mm -hmm. So part of pretense is it exacerbates PTSD. It, it, it reinforces the hologram that PTSD creates. What that does is it makes you feel more and more isolated. And if we have to break that, we have to break that and actually become communal again. Mm-hmm. And what a beautiful thing. If it, it reminds me of Mary Oliver's quote, uh, years ago, I was given a box of darkness and I didn't find out until recently that it was a gift. It's kind of a paraphrase. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And what it, and I'll put the actual quote in the show notes because I want to get it right because it's beautiful. <laughs> Yeah. But what about the, what about this? This would be an amazing thing that all of the shit that people have been through that are trauma survivors, if the, if we are the creators of the new community, because we've worked on our darkness, we've done the shadow work, we've done the somatic healing, and we are the new leaders. How fucking awesome would that be? It'd be beautiful. Um, yeah. It would be beautiful, and it would. What a great and uh, spiritual. A, a deeply spiritual thing to be able to con- convert darkness to light. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- that's power. That's yeah. truly powerful to be able to do that, but we have to have conversations like this. So absolutely. Yeah. Very good. Well, I'm going to put links to your stuff in the show notes. Um, I encourage anyone that um, is a, a, a veteran, active duty military first responder. If you need a coach, please reach out to Dr. Pate. Um, and if you're part of the military medical research community is like, you know, that's a, that's a growing, but still small cadre of people is, is if you're listening to this is reach out to Kate, because, um, you know, y'all need to support each other as much as you can. So absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for that. You're welcome. Thank you so much for doing this with me. It was very insightful and, and inspiring too. So thank you. Oh, thanks for having me on. It was a blast.